Hi, welcome to the New Covenant Presbyterian Church Sermon Podcast, a congregation of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, the OPC, in the San Francisco Bay Area. Brothers and sisters, if you would, please turn with me in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6, and if you would, please rise as we honor the public reading of God's Word. I'm going to be reading from verse 4 through verse 9. We're going to be looking predominantly this evening at verses 6 through 9. So Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning with verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Thus far the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Let's go to the Lord once again in prayer. Father, as we do continue to look at this passage, which is so foundational to the rest of the Bible, we do pray that you would help us to understand it and even to implement it, that the description of godly families as it's given in verses 6 to 9 would be true of us, that your word would permeate our houses our households, O God. And this we ask not for our own sakes, but for yours, that the knowledge of you might be perpetuated throughout all generations and that your name might be praised. Lord, soften our hearts, help us to see where we fall short, give us grace to repent quickly, and grant to us, O Lord, the obedience that is necessary that your church might be built up. We do ask these things in the, in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, if you were with us last week, you'll know we were looking at uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 to 5, and predominantly focusing on verses 4 and 5, the great statements called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. And we had noted last week how those two simple verses are really a summary of the entire Bible. The entire Bible is the story of how God has taken a people to to be his own people, that they would be saved from their sins, such that now they have this new relationship with God where God is their God and he alone is their God. They have no other commitments except to God himself. And then the resulting duty that man has is summarized in the very next verse. And it's really a summary of everything that God requires of us. God is our God through the Lord Jesus Christ, verse four. And the thing that he requires of us is that we would love him with all our heart, soul, and strength. And the entire Bible is an outworking of these two things, describing how it is in Christ that God has become our God and then showing us our duty to love him with all our heart, soul, and strength. And really, these two verses then, verses 4 and 5 that we looked at last week, really form the basis of a covenant. 
Uh, it's really a description of the covenant relationship that we have with God. Now, if you remember what the parts of a covenant are, uh, in the covenant, there is a relationship that is defined. Uh, there is two people that are brought into a relationship uh, by some kind of uh, contract or agreement that is put into place. And with the, with the covenants that God himself makes, he himself puts uh, this agreement on his people such that now they have this new relationship with him. And so in the Old Testament, there was uh, the, the covenant was based on the great acts of salvation in the Exodus, whereby God took a people to be his own people for himself. And then he requires of them certain duties, that there are always duties associated with a covenant. So there is a new relationship that is created, and then there are duties that are spelled out within that relationship. So if we were to compare this, for instance, to, to marriage, uh, the reason why a marriage ceremony is so important is because it formalizes the covenant relationship. There is now two people that have established a new relationship by covenant. There are blessings that go along with that covenant as the, the relationship is defined. And there are also duties within that covenant. And this is exactly what verses four and five are. Verse four gives us the definition of the relationship. Verse five spells out the duties of the covenant. Now, the reason why that's important to remember as we move on now to verses six to nine is because very often when covenants are defined in the scriptures and even, even beyond just the covenants we find in the Bible, but even in the covenants that we find um, in the ancient Near East around Israel uh, that were around the time of Israel, there's usually, in addition to a definition of a relationship and, in, and duties and obligations that define that relationship, obligations that both parties must adhere to, there's also usually some kind of provision for the perpetuation of the knowledge of the covenant. There is some, something that's given that's, and that provides provision for both parties to remember the covenant. Now, there's no reason, of course, for God to be remembering the covenant or for some provision to be made since he is all-knowing. But here we have in verses six to nine, this part of the covenant the, co the relationship is defined in verse four, the duties are given in verse five, and then in six to nine, the provision is made for the remembering of the covenant and the perpetuation of the knowledge of the covenant throughout all generations. So if we were to ask then, we have the, the major statements about, about the Bible, the, the major summaries of it being God is our God through the Lord Jesus Christ, and we must love him with all of our heart, soul, and strength. What provision... What provision has God gave in the scriptures so that those great important truths of the scriptures would never be forgotten? How is it that God has guaranteed that these great truths of the scriptures would always be remembered? That's the answer that we find in verses six and nine. And notice, notice predominantly, predominantly verses six and nine deal with the word of God permeating the home. That is to say, the, the particular way in which God emphasizes in this most foundational passage of Scripture for the Word of God to be perpetuated from generation to generation is predominantly through instruction in the home, within the family. It, or if we were to ask it another way, how is it that God has made provision for the church to continue and for the church to grow? Here we see it is with the faithful instruction of children by parents and the faithful reception of that teaching by children. This, this passage predominantly speaks to the way Christians are to live within the context of the family. The way, the way that God has 
guaranteed the perpetuation of love for him is by having the word of God permeate our homes. Now, we're going to look at this passage here this evening uh, under three headings. First, we're going to look at verse 6, where there is the command for the word of God to be on our hearts, which is in some ways a summary statement of everything that's going to follow in verses 7 to 9. The, the main thing is that the word must be in the heart. That's the goal of everything that, that has to happen. Uh, there's the summary statement in verse 4 of the relationship, verse 5, the duty, and then verse 6, the summary of the perpetuation, which is the word of God must always be on our hearts. And then in verses 7 to 9, verses 7, it really, yeah, it really is verses 7 to 9. Um, we're going to look at how the word of God is to be in the home. And then also in verses 8 and 9, more particularly, we're going to look at the word of God as a sign, as a sign. Those are the, the, the three things we're going to look at here this evening, that the word of God is to be on our hearts, that the word of God is to be in the home, and that the word of God is actually given in verses 8 and 9 as a sign uh, for us to remember these great truths of the scriptures. So look with me again then uh, at verse 6. I had mentioned here, this is really... Uh, the summary of this great section of perpetuation of the word of God. And it really is the goal of everything that follows. It's foundational for everything that follows. Moses says, And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. They'll be, they shall be in your heart. Now, what does it mean that the word of God would be in our hearts? It clearly means much more than simple reading of the Bible, that there's something more than simply reading through the scriptures that is uh, being spoken of here. However, it is important to point out that this does not mean something less than simple reading of the Bible. That is to say that uh, in, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6, there is a requirement for more than Bible reading. There needs to be a more diligent study than simply reading through the Bible. However, there does need to be at least, at least, regular reading through the Bible. This is really a duty that is uh, necessary for every single Christian, that we would treat the Word of God like our daily food. You can't go very long without food, and so too for the Christian, they cannot go very long without reading through the Bible. And now I'd mentioned that verses four and five are really a summary of the entire, the, the entire Bible. Uh, it's foundational for everything that we find in the scriptures. And so even though in some ways in verses six and nine, there is a particular focus on remembering verses four and five, because verses four and five are, are a summary of the entire Bible, the idea of the word being in our hearts applies not just to four and five, though it includes it. The, the, the idea is that the, that the idea of God being our God and us loving him must be on our hearts, but also everything in the scriptures which defines that must also be on our hearts. There must be time that is carved out for the regular reading of the Bible. And again, this is just a baseline because clearly the word of God being in our hearts does require more than simple reading. There are many things in life that we read and then we immediately forget about. It would not qualify as saying that the word, those words are in fact in our hearts. But you cannot have something in your heart that you are not reading. There has to be some kind of way of receiving uh, the word of God. And so there is at least simple Bible reading that is uh, spoken of here as a great duty on every Christian. But again, there is more than that. Uh, if you were to spend 30 minutes a day reading through the Bible, perhaps if you were to do that, you could probably get through the Bible in about a year or so. 
but if you if you were to do that and then immediately throughout every single day read the Bible and then immediately forget it and spend the next 23 and a half hours not thinking about anything that you read, you would not be fulfilling the duty which is being spoken of here. And this is because then, uh, this means then that in verse six, really the goal of the duty and the thing that is required of you is that you would meditate on the word of God, that you would often think about the word of God. Now, this is something that uh, happens all throughout the scriptures. Deuteronomy 17 it is a requirement of the king that he always be thinking about and reading the word of God. Same thing we have with uh, Joshua in Joshua chapter 1. Uh, same thing we have in Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 to 2. How blessed is the man who makes the law of God his meditation day and night. Psalm 119, uh, 11 as well. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. There are the ideas... I know that if I do not have the word of God living within my heart, I will sin against God. But in order that I would not sin against God, I will store it up in my heart. And even if you just read through Psalm 119, you'll see many statements like that where the, the psalmist delights in the word of God. You have things like Psalm 12, where uh, the word of God is compared to silver, which is refined in a furnace seven times, or similar statements made in Psalm uh, 19. The word of God is to be precious to us, is to be something that we constantly think about and that we constantly delight in all throughout the day. This is the duty that Moses here requires of us. We are to know that God is our God, we are to love him, and we are always to be thinking about those things which he has spoken so that we can be meditating on the way in which he saved us and on the duty that he requires of us. Now, not only is this a goal for Bible reading, that's to say this, this ought to be what you, what you think about, even as you go through your basic Bible reading plans, you somehow carve out time to study these things so that you can meditate on them. But not only is this a, a goal for that, it's also the goal of sermons. I am attempting to preach in such a way that you remember the things that I say, that you remember them beyond just this evening and even into the week. The goal is that you would hear and that you would remember, that you would then think about further, that the words would penetrate deep into your hearts and that they would then remain there, that you would meditate on them through the week. Now, one of the things that we do in our household, which um, it, if it's helpful to you, it may be something that you may uh, look into doing as well. We often, um, during the, the meals on Sundays, we will always have a sermon review with our family. So we will have, um, you know, I'll ask basic questions appropriate to the, the age level of, of the children, uh, of what the sermon was about, what book was daddy preaching from, uh, those kinds of questions, so that they can be thinking about the contents of the sermon beyond just uh, the, the, the service on Sunday. This, this really is the goal. Anything short of the word of God being in our hearts is not a fulfillment of the duty which Moses speaks of in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6. Now, the other thing that's implied here that I've uh, briefly alluded to at points is that this does imply as well that you delight in the word of God. So you are making an attempt to store the word in your hearts but there also must be a heart affection for the word if it is to be in your heart. Something can be memorized, but it's not truly in your heart in the way Moses is speaking here if it is not something that you love with your heart. The, the, the idea here is that there must be an actual delight 
in the word of God. Now, perhaps you're here and you struggle with reading the Bible. Perhaps you uh, think it's a bit boring. You don't really understand what you're reading. The thing to do, if that's the case, is one, to listen to sermons. Sermons can be very helpful to your own Bible reading as uh, someone who has studied these kinds of things can help you make sense of the Bible and you'll begin to grow in your understanding of them so you can read it yourself and understand. Uh, But secondly, you need to simply, if you have trouble reading the Bible, you simply need to just keep reading. You need to keep reading, persevere in it, and pray that God would give you a greater delight in the scriptures. Pray that he would give you a greater delight. Sometimes I hear Christians say things like, you know, I I know I should read the Bible, but I do it as a chore or a duty. And because I do it as a chore or a duty, I'm just not going to do it. I'm not going to do it until I feel in my heart that I uh, have the kind of affection for God that I ought. But this is really... um, This is really wrong-headed with regard to the duties that God has given to us. We are to do the duties that God has given to us. If we cannot do them with delight, then we are to pray for forgiveness and ask that God would grant us the delight that is required. We are to persevere in it. It does matter that we persevere in keeping the word of God in our hearts. This is a duty. This is a duty that Moses here is speaking of. Uh, And again, this is perhaps the most foundational passage in the entire Bible. Uh, So it's no small duty either. This is the provision for the perpetuation of the word of God, such that the covenant summary of the entire Bible can be remembered all throughout uh, the church and all throughout time. Now, in verses seven to nine, these things are worked out more particularly. And it is very interesting to note that the primary way in which the word of God is to be placed within our hearts is in the context of the family. Now, it's something I mentioned in the introduction to the sermon, but notice the way in which the family is predominantly the emphasis in verses seven to nine. Notice, you shall teach them diligently to your children, teaching them to your children within the family. You shall talk of them when you sit down in your house, in your house, again, the context of the family, when you walk, by the way, again, presumably with those who are with, uh, in your family, when you lie down in your house, when you rise from your, up in your house. You shall speak of them with those who are in the house, which means you shall speak of them uh, in your family. They shall be as a sign to you. We'll, we'll get into the way in which the word of God is a sign in verses eight and nine. But notice here, even in verse nine then, the sign is on the doorpost of your house. And then, then it's only when we get to the very end of verse nine, that there is a different emphasis. And they shall also be on your gates. There is, there we're going uh, broader than just the house. It shall be include the entire city. But everything up to the very end of verse nine is all focused on the family. When Moses gives the duty of the word of God being in your heart, this is not something that you do just individually, but it's something that is to be done as families. That if, if the word of God is to be perpetuated from generation to generation, this must be done in the context of the family. Notice as well, particularly in verse 7, the diligence that is required for the, for the fulfilling of this duty. Notice the way that the words are uh, spoken very emphatically. Um, In verse seven at the beginning, we have, you shall teach them diligently to your children. The idea of teaching diligently is really just one word uh, in the Hebrew. And the idea is something like inculcate or even inscribe. Um, 
make it go deep into your children. That's that's the idea. Uh, that's and so the, the the approximation in English that we get is something like um, something like teach them diligently. But the idea is to impress it upon them. It's a very uh, emphatic word. The other uh, way that we see that it's um, emphatic, the idea of doing this with diligence, is uh, later on in verse 7 where it says, and you shall talk of them when you sit down uh, in your house. The idea there of talking of them in the original language, uh, there's a little preposition that informs us that it's not just speaking of them in a general way, but it's actually reciting. The, The idea here is that the idea of storing up the word in the heart in terms of memorizing, meditating, that, that those actions would be something that the family does as a whole, that they would do that together. They would store up the word together such that then when they speak of the word of God in the home, they can all speak of it from their own memories. That's the idea. You shall recite of these things when you, when you walk by the road and when you, get, when you lie down, when you get up, and so on and so forth. And so again, the idea of, of the whole family being able to recite the word of God clearly implies a great diligence. If you're going to fulfill this duty, this is something that you must take very seriously. You, you must uh, put some effort into it. You must carve out time to do it. So the diligence is seen, the diligence that is needed to fulfill this duty is seen by the actions. Notice the diligence that you need to fulfill this duty is also seen in the way the timing of the fulfilling of the duty is described. The times that are set aside for the fulfilling of the duty. And this is really given through a number of, um, the use of this rhetorical device that's called a merism, where there are uh, two opposites that are given and the idea of a merism is that two opposite things are given, and the idea is that the meaning is the whole thing. So from one end to the other, basically. So like when um, in Psalm 103, when it says that, the, that um, God has removed our sins from the east to the west, so the idea is everywhere. They're just completely gone. Or when the scriptures say that God made the heavens and the earth. The heavens are above, the earth is beneath, that it constitutes everything. That's the idea. So the, the idea of, of God making the heavens and the earth is that God made everything. And we have a number of merisms here that describe the timing of when you are to do these things. Notice what, what the, the scriptures say. When you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, whether you're sitting or standing, that is to say, during every activity through the day, there is an opportunity to be fulfilling this particular requirement, that the word of God would be in your hearts. During every activity throughout the day, this is to be a normal thing that happens. And then when you lie down and when you rise up, the end of the day, the beginning of the, of the day, the idea being, throughout the whole day. When you lie down, when you rise up, that is, throughout the entire day, there is to be the speaking of the word of God in the context of the home. And so brothers and sisters, and even more particularly, let me ask the parents first. I want to address parents and then I want to address children because uh, really the requirement here is an intergenerational thing. There is a particular requirement on parents to be teaching their children the word of God. And there's also a particular requirement on children. Those who are still within the home of their parents, there is a requirement that you would receive the word of God well. So there's a requirement to teach and there's a requirement to receive. But for those of you who are parents in the home, or those of you, even if you don't have uh, children in the home, still applies to you if you are married, are you fulfilling this duty to perpetuate the understanding of the Bible to the next generation? Are you fulfilling this duty to teach your children in such a way that the word of God is in their hearts? It's in your heart 
and because it's in your heart and because of the way that you lead your family, that it is also in the hearts of your children. Now, this does not mean that the Bible is to be the only topic of conversation in the home. It doesn't mean that 24-7 you're always only speaking about the Bible. However, it does mean it does mean that you take every opportunity that you have to teach your children the scriptures. That there are, there are many informal times when the scriptures as a topic of conversation does come up. It means in addition that there are formal times that you have set apart uh, specifically for the sake of instruction of your children in things related to the scriptures. And it does mean as well that speaking about the Bible is a natural thing that occurs normally within the home. So again, it does not mean that the scriptures are the only topic of conversation. You don't have to be speaking of the Bible 24-7 to be fulfilling this duty. It does mean, it does mean that you do take every opportunity to teach your children informally, that there are formal times when you do teach your children the scriptures, and that speaking of the Bible is a natural and normal occurrence in your home. It does mean those particular things. So the question is, do you foster this kind of environment in your home? Do you lead your family in this way such that the scriptures are spoken of regularly within the home? Now, there is a special note for those who are the heads of households. If you are the man in your household, this responsibility falls particularly to you, more to you than anyone else. Ultimately, it is your duty to see that this is fulfilled within your home. Now, the objection may be at this point, uh, very natural objection, this is, seems quite daunting. How is it that I can do this? Or perhaps you're feeling that you cannot do it. Uh, what, what, what can you do in order to uh, begin to fulfill these things when perhaps it feels just completely overwhelming, um, you know, to have this kind of weight and pressure be put on you with regard to teaching your family uh, the Bible? What can you do? Well, the first thing I would say is this. Certainly, it does require a lot of work. It is very important that you recognize the gravity of the duty that is being spoken of here in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 to 9. And in recognizing the gravity, you must, if you're going to do this well, you must set aside regular time to do it, and you must make this a priority. There, there must be dedicated times of study. Uh, think of this, particularly for those of you who are heads of households. If you neglect the study of the scriptures yourself, and you are unable to get to a point where you can at least um, help your family to understand basically the message of the Bible and to memorize scripture as a family, if you cannot get to the point where you can do that, then your neglect of your own personal Bible study does not just negatively affect you, but it actually affects your entire household. There is a negative spiritual effect on your entire household if you neglect this duty. If you cannot lead your family in this way, you're in, the ones you love the most will suffer the most by your neglect. So the first thing to say is, is that you must actually take this to be a very serious thing. It is a very serious duty that you need to work to fulfill. And uh, again, what the, 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 what the basic starting point would be to be diligent, to read things, uh, instructions about uh, the Bible, reading uh, books that can be helpful in terms of summaries of the scriptures, listening to sermons, 
making a, a diligent point to read through the Bible uh, as best you can. And, um, and if you are willing to do that, there are a number of resources that you can use uh, that are out there to help you in terms of um, going through things as families. And I, and I think if you, um, if you look for them, or if, even if you want help finding these kinds of things, you can uh, ask me about them later at some other time, and, and I can be happy to help you. Uh, but this is something that will take work, and you need to recognize that it will take work, and you need to be willing to do uh, the work. Now, I just remind you as well, with regard to this, that this is Highly important, this is a duty within the covenant of grace. This is the provision for the perpetuation of the knowledge of God in the church. This is the provision that God has made. And not only that, but this is something that if you are a member in good standing of an Orthodox Presbyterian church, or I'm sure every single Napark church has vows that are like this, but you took a vow to do this. You took a vow before God that you would raise your children in this way. Let me, I want to read... Uh, the vows that are taken by parents of children when children uh, are being baptized into the church, just to remind all of us of what, what it is that we committed ourselves to. The second vow, do you promise to teach diligently to your child the principles of our holy Christian faith revealed in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments and summarized in the confession of faith and catechisms, and catechisms of this church? Do you promise to pray regularly with and for your child and to set an example of godliness and piety before him? And then the fourth vow, do you promise to endeavor by all the means that God has appointed to bring your child up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, encouraging him to appropriate for himself the blessings and fulfill the obligations of the covenant? This is something, again, that is an obligation of the covenant. You are members of the covenant and you have vowed before God that you would do this. You have vowed before God that you would bring your children up in such a way that you are fulfilling this obligation, that, that the word of God would permeate your home. The word of God would permeate your home. Now, that's from the side of the parents. There is also, though, in this, an implication for the children. If you are here and you are living in the home of your parents, then there is actually a way in which this applies to you. So I do want to take a minute to uh, address uh, the children here. So if you are a child, it can be very difficult to listen to long sermons. But if you, rem if you listen to any part of the sermon, this is the part to listen to. Okay, so This is the part to listen to if you are a child uh, listening to this particular sermon. Now, I wanted to, to talk about the importance of you listening to your parents as they give you godly instruction. It is a phenomenal blessing to grow up in a Christian home where the word of God is taught. You get to know things that people will, will spend their entire lives. They will be born, they will grow old and die, and they will never know the things that you were taught of as a, as a child. You have been told the very words of God himself. And let me just impress upon you to tell you the importance of listening to your parents as they teach you the Bible. It's very important that you listen to your parents as they teach you the Bible. Uh, those of you who are, are children, I'm sure, will know that, uh, that the wise King Solomon wrote the book of Proverbs, and Solomon was known for being very wise. In Proverbs chapters 1 to 9, Solomon introduces the idea of wisdom. And very interestingly, after Solomon begins the book of Proverbs by saying that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, 
the very next thing he says in the beginning of the book of Proverbs, in Proverbs chapter one, Solomon makes a comparison between the instruction, the godly instruction of parents and listening to friends who will lead you off into sin. All throughout time, 3,000 years ago, all the way to the present, this is really the great temptation that children face. Will you listen to your friends as they lead you off into sin, or will you listen to the instruction of your parents? It is a mark of godliness that you as children listen to your parents as they teach you the Bible, rather than listen to those who may be your age, who may be uh, people you respect in certain ways, who you think are cool, that you listen to them uh, instead of your parents. You are to listen to your parents. So Proverbs chapter one, verse eight, and immediately after Solomon says, the, the opening line, uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The very next thing he says is this. My son, hear the instruction of your father and do not forsake the law of your mother. Listen to your parents. God has provided you with godly parents who teach you the Bible so that you would not fall into sin with the world. Think of this great provision. There are so many people that are your age who have no idea what the scriptures require. They do not know God and they go off following the ways of the world. But God has given you godly parents, those within your home who love you, who care for you, who provide for your needs, who teach you the Bible so that you would uh, listen to them and that you would not make the mistakes of the rest of the world and fall into sin, which ultimately leads only to death. If you are confronted with the choice between the morality of the world that your friends are saying you should follow, which the Bible condemns, and the teaching of your parents, this is very often the way it works. This is, this is always the options. The Bible tells you, listen to your parents, listen to your mom and dad as they teach you the things of God. To turn away from the godly instruction of parents is to turn away from God. To turn away from the godly instruction of your parents is to turn away from God himself. And so in verse seven particularly, there is a requirement, parents, that you teach your children. Children, that you receive the godly instruction of your parents. And so children, that's the main message for you here this, this evening that you would listen to your parents as they teach you the Bible. Now in verses eight and nine, there is a bit of a shift. As the word of God is now described as a sign, there are certain signs that are made that are meant to do a couple of things. Uh, one of the things, one of the reasons why there is, uh, uh, before I get into the description, let me, let me read it again. Verses eight and nine. You shall bind them, that is the words, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. So there is some sort of thing that's put on your hand so that you would always remember uh, these particular words, probably referring to verses four and five, uh, the, the great summary of the entire message of the Bible. They're to be put on your hands or to be put on as frontlets between your eyes. The idea is that you would always carry them around with you. So part of the idea there is that you would remember. You would remember the word of God. And not only shall they be always carried around with you, but you shall also write them on the doorposts of your house. And then they shall also be put on the gates. That is the gates of the city. So again, with that last phrase, we are moving beyond uh, just the household. Why are signs uh, to be used for the remembrance of the word of God. What is, what is meant here by uh, a sign? 
Again, there are, there are really two ways in which I think assign a functions here in this context. The first is uh, for the, the sake of remembering words. The idea is that you would, you would put the word of God around you so that you always remember the word of God, that you do not forget these things. But secondly as well, I think another purpose of the signs in this particular context is that it also makes a distinction between those who are uh, following God and those who are not following God. So in Israel, those who did not have these signs, which were visible, um, you would be able to, to, to understand that this is someone who's not, in fact, uh, following God. This is not, in this case, then a true Israelite. And so, and this is very often the case with a number of things that happened in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, there were a number of visible differences, distinctions that are put between God, God's people and those who are not God's people. So, for instance, um, you know, circumcision, and, th- and that actually is something that we see in the New Testament as well with baptism. There's a, a visible distinction and separation, um, but even the, the food laws are another, uh, uh, another way in which this happened in the Old Testament. These things put a distinction between God's people and those uh, who are outside of God's people. Now, in, and particularly here then, this is supposed to be a sign that works within the home, the family being the basic unit within the church. But this is something, again, that extends beyond just the family, as we see the gates referring to the city gates, uh, meaning that these signs are supposed to distinguish the church as a whole, so to speak, from those who are outside uh, of the church. Now, in many ways, this is something that does not carry over into the New Testament. There is not the same kind of requirement for outward visible signs that distinguish the people of God from those who are not the people of God. I mentioned that the sacraments do that. The sacraments make a distinction between those who are in the covenant and those who are not in the covenant, those who are baptized, those who are not baptized, those who receive the Lord's Supper, those who do not receive the Lord's Supper. It makes a distinction in in that way. Um, And that's parallel to things that happened in Israel with their sacraments. Uh, But I think here, this is not so much speaking of a sacrament. And that's why I I think there's there's not the kind of visible signs like this that we find in the Old Testament that get carried over into the New. But if we were to ask, what is the thing that distinguishes New Testament Christians from those who are not New Testament Christians or those who are unbelievers in the New Testament, what would we say? Uh, I think the main thing that the Scriptures teach in the New Testament is uh, not so much an outward sign that gives us distinction, but it is a godliness of living and a love that clearly distinguishes you from the rest of the world. Um, Christ has said, you know, in John 13, by this all men will know that you are my disciples when you love one another. So there is a, a kind of, of love that is shared. And I think even particularly here, because the emphasis is on uh, the word of God as a sign, there is a living out of the word that I think shows it to be on the heart uh, that in some ways is, I think the way that this can be applied to the New Testament church itself. That is to say that the word of God is to permeate our entire homes, is to permeate the church. It's then to be seen publicly in the way in which we live our lives in a way distinct from the rest of the world. And in this way, then, there is a visible sign that distinguishes us from the rest of the word, the, the world. But the emphasis here throughout the entire passage in verses 6 and 9 is that the word of God must permeate everything. The word of God must permeate everything. Is your household, in this sense, marked with the word of God? Is is it marked by the word of God? Does it permeate the home 
and everything that is done. You know, we often pray for the health of this church. We pray that God would grow this church. But before we pray for more and more members, we do pray for more members and we want God to grow his church. The main thing we have to recognize is this, even before that, we will know that God is truly blessing us and answering our prayers when, when the family units within this church live their lives in accordance with Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 to 9. When the word of God is permeating all of our homes, then we know that God is blessing us the way that we are truly seeking. And as God blesses us as families, when it's evident in our families, then we will know that the kingdom of God is in fact advancing. May it be, may it be that within our church, it would be true of us what Spurgeon said ought to be true of every Christian when he said that if someone were to scratch us, that we would bleed Bible. May it be that the word of God would so permeate us in this way, that it would always be on our hearts, that it would always be on our minds, that it would always be on our tongue, that we would always speak of it, that it would permeate us, and that for no other reason than we love the God who has made us his own people, and we desire to express that love back to him. Let's pray. Oh, Father, how we do plead with you, even as we have, we always plead with you that you would bless us as a church. How, Lord, we do plead with you that this would mark the blessing that you give to us, that your word would be on our hearts. May it be, O oh Lord, that this, that this word that you have given to us, this revelation of yourself, that it would permeate everything that we are, everything that we do, that we would think about the word of God because our hearts have been stirred by it. May it be that we think about it all throughout the day. Help us, O Lord. May we not be like the one that James describes in James chapter one, who looks into the great mirror of the word and turns away and immediately forgets the things that he sees. May it be, Lord, that that we rather look into the word and that we ponder it that we meditate on it, that it becomes our daily food and drink, that we would be sustained by it, that we would love it, that we would be sanctified by it, and that in doing all these things, we would grow in our love for you. For we ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you found this sermon helpful, please give us a five-star review as this will help make the Word of God preached more available to others. Also, if you'd like to find out more about our church, you can visit our website at newcovopcssf.com. That's N-E-W-C-O-V-O-P-C-S-S-F.com.